0: Alright, good morning, fine family. If you want to go ahead and grab a seat, we'll turn our attention to God's Word here this morning. I encourage if you've met someone that's new, maybe connect with them afterwards. And let's use it every Sunday morning when we gather as an opportunity to care for one another, to ask how each other are doing, to pray for one another. It's great to gather and sing together. It's great to gather and send their God's Word. Those are so key. But it's also good to just encourage one another. And it's not just what happens up front. I just want to encourage you towards that end. And I don't know about you, but I just, I love seeing up front because I get to hear all of your voices with the singing. And it was so sweet this morning. I kind of feel like we could just go home now because we've already had just God's word sung over us and the gospel just so beautifully heard. But I think God's got more goodness for us in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. So we are going to dig in to our series, a mini-series really on the Beatitudes, which is just a, a Latin phrase for blessing. And basically, Jesus has been laying out here kind of a vision for what his community is going to be like, what his people should look like, what his kingdom should be about. And it's a a beautiful kingdom, full of blessing, but it's very countercultural because the way you get to that blessing is not what you would expect. It's been upside down and backwards. And this morning, as we look at the sixth statement of blessing, we're going to see that's exactly the same. He's going to offer something really beautiful in his kingdom But the way to get there will not be how we first expect. And so let's pray and ask God to help us lean into his word this morning. Father, thank you so much that you are the God we sing about, whose mercy is more. Who sent your son, Jesus, to take on our heavy load so we could find rest. And so, Father, help us to lean in this morning. Because knowing how good you are from what you've done, we know that your words will also be words of love and life for us. So help us this morning, help me and my own weakness and frailty and our collective weakness and frailty to lean in to hear from you for your glory and our good. I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, let me start by actually reading all of the Beatitudes together, just to hear kind of where this one uh, statement of blessing falls in kind of the, the whole section. So I'm going to start at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, and the, the words will be up on the screen as well. Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, this morning we're looking at verse 8 in particular. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The blessing that Jesus offers here is the chance to see God. But what does that really mean, and what's so good about seeing God? Well, I think we have a small taste of that actually in our own conversations. In the sense of how many times have you sat around with maybe friends or co-workers Family and the conversation eventually wanders off to some type of topic like this. A man, let me tell you, a couple weeks ago, someone gave me some sweet Packers tickets, and I got to sit only twelve rows from the Packers bench. I got to actually see Aaron Rodgers. And the next person jumps in, is like, "Well, you think that's cool, man? One time, I got to see Bon Iver in concert at a coffee shop and talk to him." It's like, "Well, I was once in San Francisco." And Tom Cruise came in and sat one table over from me. That was so cool. Now, all of those are hypothetical. I've, hypothetical. Have not experienced any of them. If you want to hear a great story, ask Casey Johnson, pastor of Redeemer City, how he came to play Shaq in Shaq's house at ping pong. And he won. Yes. Um, true story. That is a true story. Uh, so ask him about it sometime. He's a world traveler, Casey Johnson. Um, but there's, like, something really cool about that, right? You're like, whoa, like... It's so amazing, and it's like this awesome thing to be close to greatness. Whether it's like fame or money or power, there's something in this that oftentimes in our human hearts gravitates towards that. And I mean, if you just meet them, that's one thing. But if they were like on your phone in your context as a speed dial friend, that would be a whole nother layer of awesomeness, right? And on one hand, Jesus is essentially saying here... There's a right desire in the human heart to be close to this greatness. You're just setting the bar way too low. I mean, in my kingdom, you get to see God. That, that is blessing. That is amazing. I mean, if you want to talk about power, he's the one that made everything. If you want to talk about riches, he owns everything. If you want to talk about fame, he's done more things that would blow your mind than anyone else Far and above and beyond, we're so often settled for too low. You can think about, imagine if you got the chance to hang out with a theater student from UW, just to hear a little bit about their life and what it's like to be in theater. That might be kind of cool, especially if you like acting or drama. But imagine if you had that chance, but then last minute you found out your favorite actor or actress was willing to spend that day with you. You would drop that theater student and go hang out with that actor or actress, right? Because, I mean, whoa, this is such a unique, awesome opportunity. And God is light years better than that. He is amazing. And yet maybe this morning, it's like, okay, that sounds great in theory, but I don't know if there's actually anything in my heart that really that much desires to see God. And it could be because this morning, you're not actually really sure about the whole God thing. You're just exploring still. Maybe you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, but God can be sometimes so fuzzy and, and abstract that it's hard to be, like, excited about seeing him because I, I don't even know. Like, I, I can get my hands on, on famous people, but God just feels so indistinct and fuzzy as a category that, is, is he really worth seeing? And that can be there in our hearts. It makes me think of this social experiment that the Washington Post did several years back. They had Joshua Bell, a a world-famous violin player, come to a Washington, D.C. subway station during rush hour, and he was playing a a violin worth $3.5 million, and he played 45 minutes of music by Bach, some of the most complicated violin pieces, at rush hour. Do you know how many people stopped to listen? Six six people two nights before he packed out the theater in this famous theater in boston cheapest tickets were a hundred bucks a pop here he is playing for free this amazing violin player and everyone's just rushing past him because they don't know who he is they they didn't even know what they were missing in their busyness in their haste they missed a great artist that was right there on display for them to see and hear And sometimes if we're honest, that's what God's like in our lives. We're so busy with life, all the things that come at us. We're so preoccupied and stopping every once in a while to take selfies about the cool things that we're doing and cool places that we miss that God, the greatest artist, is right there near to us, waiting to be seen and heard if we turn to him. I mean, if you think about it, his artistry is all around us. You can look at Mount Everest, this amazing, beautiful peak that is just, I mean, the photos are incredible, and people will risk their lives to climb that mountain after years of training and expense to get to the top and experience the beauty of it, but the God who made Mount Everest gets less time and effort sometimes than climbing Mount Everest, or you can think about Niagara Falls, and I'm talking particularly about the Canadian one because it's better. Um, <laughs> but Niagara Falls, right? It's, it's beautiful, and it's like thunderous power, and it's, it's horseshoe, this beautiful horseshoe shape. And people rightly spend money to ride the, the Maid of the Mist ferry. That's not a, a, a tourist trap at all. It's, it's awesome to get on that boat and get right up close to the falls and experience the, the power and the majesty and the beauty of the symmetry of this Amazing work of nature. And yet the one who designed and made Niagara Falls doesn't get as much attention sometimes. Or look around us. Every person here, uniquely made. Millions upon millions of cells that somehow God has designed to come together to make a person that lives and breathes and walks and can drive to Niagara Falls. Could invent a car to get us to Niagara Falls. I mean, that's amazing. And yet, we're blind to desire to see the artist behind us all. It'd be like if you were at uh, the Louvre and getting to see the Mona Lisa, and somehow there was like this time portal that allowed you to meet Leonardo da Vinci, and you're like, nah, I don't really care about meeting him. Like, what? That would be amazing, and God is an even greater artist. But we so often miss how all the artistry around us is meant to help us see how much better it would be to one day meet and see the artist himself. We don't slow down. But it's more than just this amazing experience of seeing God. To see God in the Bible means to have his favor upon you. That he's slowed down and he's looking at us so we can see him. Just like if a famous person was leaving a restaurant, getting in their fancy limo with bodyguards, and you called out and they stopped to take the time to have a picture with you. So seeing God is like God slowing down and showing us the favor of being seen. In fact, there's a famous story in the Old Testament where a little bit of this happens. Moses, who's leading the people, maybe you remember if you were here when we were doing the Exodus series, the the people have committed a great sin with building this golden calf instead of worshiping God. And, And Moses talking to God and asked for God's forgiveness and then he asked God, can I see you? And God says, because you found favor in my eyes, I'll let you see me. But you can't see my face or you would die. But I'll pass by and you'll kind of see like the afterglow of who I am. But Moses only partially experienced this. But it's because God showed him favor. In fact, this idea of seeing God and God seeing us became such an image of God's favor towards the people that The great traditional blessing of the Jewish people found in Numbers 6 says this, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious towards you. That God's face towards us and us seeing him is the epitome of God's grace and favor towards us. That's what Jesus offers. To one one day see God face to face and now to experience his favor, his turning towards us. So, how can you see God in that way? How can you be with Him? Well, if you want to hang out with famous people, I've noticed you have to become famous. You have to become like them, right? Generally, actors and actresses hang out with each other. Famous sports players hang out with each other, right? Politicians hang out with each other. And so, I guess if you wanted to hang out with any of those people, you could try to become just like them and change everything about your exterior life. Get that job, get that money. Excel, do whatever it takes. And again, Jesus says, you're kind of right. If you really want to see God, you do have to be like him. But it's not about the externals primarily. So at the end of chapter 5, rounding out a lot of his teaching in the short section here, Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. If you want to see him, be like him and he's perfect. Or as Jesus would say in the beatitude, perfection looks like being pure in hearts be pure in heart but as soon as we read that phrase i think we need to understand what does it mean to be pure in the heart because in our culture the heart is the place of emotions right so disney's taught us to follow your heart which essentially means ignore what your brain is telling you in logic and just follow and run after your feelings that's not what the bible means when it talks about hearts When the Bible talks about the heart, it's the center of who you are. It's the place where, yes, your emotions and your passions and your desires are, but also what we would call the head, where your thinking and reasoning and will reside. All of that together is your heart. Your heart is the core of who you are. And Jesus says, in order to see God, you must be perfectly pure at the core of who you are. The word pure can also be translated clean. And you can have the image of like that white shirt, right? Now, if you have white clothes, you know how hard it is to keep them clean, right? And they can look kind of white, but you, when you bring them up to the light, you can see that faint stain that you've mostly washed out, but it's kind of there. I mean, white clothes are hard to keep clean. But Jesus is saying, that's the level of cleanness you need to have at the core of who you are to see me. Or you could think about the process of extracting metals, so a lot of times metals are found mixed in with a lot of other things that aren't considered valuable. So you have to extract them. In fact, I grew up in a city that was known as the mining capital of the world for nickel. And uh, there was these awesome slag hills, you know, where sometimes at night you could drive past them. And you could see them dumping out all the extraneous stuff they didn't want. And it was like rivers of lava. It was really, really cool as a kid. Um, but there's this process of extracting one type of metal from all the others. That there's there's a sense that being pure means unmixed, undivided. Your whole heart is one and clean, settled on God. That's what is required. I don't know about you, but that feels kind of hard. To have a heart that's absolutely pure, absolutely undivided. And so since it's so hard to have our hearts there, we often tend to compensate by working really hard on cleaning up the outside. Because after all, right, I mean, if external things are dirty, it's easy to clean them up. Like if your floor has like food all over it, you just pull out a broom, five minutes later, boom, your floor is clean. But guess what? When you find selfishness and greed and lust and anger, and jealousy in your heart. There's no vacuum you can just pull out. In five minutes you're all clean, is there? And so we can be tempted to say, well, if I can just keep the exterior clean enough. If people can look at my life from the outside and see everything's looking good, then maybe they won't peek behind that and see what's actually at the heart. And so that's why so often you right in our conversations, how are you doing? Fine? Good? End of conversation. Don't pry. Or on social media, right? We post all the vacation pictures and all the sweet messages, but everything in between gets left off because we have to project something that seems good because then maybe no one will see what's actually there on the inside. And while we do this so often ourselves, isn't it ironic that when we see other people doing it, we know right away it's foolish? And we have a term for it, right? When we see other people doing it, we call it hypocrisy. Like, you hypocrite, make sure your outside matches up with your inside. And yet we can be tempted to do the exact same thing. And here's the thing. For those who are connected in some way to God or religion, it's especially a temptation. Because you know maybe more than others how important it is to be pure in hearts. And maybe you look around a room like this and say, well, everyone else sure seems to have it together. I must be the only one that doesn't have a pure heart, so I better button things down so that no one can see and find me out as the one person here that's impure. We can be tempted to do this, but it's not a path leads to the blessing. Jesus, in fact, spoke to the religious people of his day. Matthew chapter 23, we read this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence you blind pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean i mean can you imagine if you went over to somebody's house and you saw these amazing like china dishes they're all beautifully polished and they go to serve you this mug to put your nice coffee in and there's mold growing in the inside You feel like that is disgusting. I'm not touching that, right? And yet so often we spend all this time just polishing the outside so no one will look inside and see the mold in our hearts. It doesn't work. And this is so key to see because actually the Bible is really clear that if you don't clean the inside of the cup, you can't see God. This isn't just here in Matthew 5. Moses couldn't see God's face or else he would die. Psalm 24 says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord and enter his dwelling place? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Proverbs 20 verse 9 says this, who can say, I have made my heart pure, I am clean from my sin? The answer is no one. And at the end of the Bible, Revelation, talking about the new heavens and new earth, the perfect world says, nothing unclean will ever enter it. And so we have a problem. Because the greatest blessing to see God feels completely out of reach because we all have impure hearts, don't we? It's like that, that VIP lounge that looks so amazing, inviting, but you're not allowed in. You know, Maybe if you've been in an airport and you have the several-hour delay and you see the other people who get to go in the nice VIP lounges and have the buffet food and you have beds to sleep in or something and you're stuck in like the lazy you know, chairs out in with everybody else. You're like, man, it'd be so nice to be in that VIP lounge. Well, God is set apart, and it doesn't say VIP only. It says pure in heart only. So what, what can we do? Well, sometimes we are tempted to say, well, I, I won't try to fake it, but maybe, maybe this whole standard thing is just way too high. I mean, shouldn't God lower the standards? I mean, if his standard is perfection, then everybody's toast. I mean, surely he's just going to lower the standard that I'm going to be, like, mostly pure enough. I'm mostly pure on most days, and so that, that cuts it, right? No, it doesn't, because we don't get to set the bar. We don't get to set the bar. Uh, I don't know if anyone here can dunk a basketball net. If you can, props to you. I cannot. Uh, but I remember as a kid, not being a huge basketball fan, but every birthday when I blew out the candles, I always wished that I would be able to dunk a basketball net, okay? Because um, I thought it was so cool, right? mean like, that's the only part of basketball that seems cool to me is dunking. Um, and... Uh, so every, every birthday, I'd blow out the candles, and then like, the next day, I'd go to school, and like, when no one was looking, I'd try to like, go by the basketball net, just hope somehow God had given me this amazing ability to like, jump five feet in the air and dunk, okay? Never happened. I still can't dunk, even with all of my growth, okay? Now, I can dunk in my own driveway when you have those uh, you know, portable basketball nets where you can lower them down. Man, I can do some awesome dunks on those. You just lower it to like five feet high. You can do like 360 dunks and everything. It's awesome, okay? But I would be a fool if I went from dunking in my basketball net five feet high to walking into a real gym in a real game and thinking I could still dunk there. And yeah, that's so often what we do with God. We set our own standard and think we're doing so great but we're fools to think that in the real game of life where we don't set the heights of the bar, that we could still dunk. We can't. His standard is perfection. He's so clear on that. And so we're in trouble if we were to end here. But thankfully, this is not where God leaves us. Because see, sometimes you might think, well, God doesn't want the impure people because he's like a sick person. That if the impure people showed up, he'd get contaminated, right? That's not what's going on. It's the complete opposite. God is so pure and holy that if we entered his presence in our current state on our own, we would be consumed like impure metals. God doesn't say only the pure in heart can see me for his protection. He says that for ours. And yet, amazingly, God did something about that gap. God the Son, Jesus, came to earth and took on a human form so that we could see God. In the Gospel of John, we read these words in chapter 1. No one has ever seen God, the only God, he's talking about Jesus in the second spot, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And later, before Jesus goes to the cross, his disciples ask him to show them the Father. And he says, don't you get it? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That God who can't be seen can actually be seen in the face of Jesus Christ. But he didn't just come to be seen. No, Jesus came to make us clean, to wash our hearts. And he did this as the only perfect human being Fully God, fully man. The only one that always had God's favor looking at him. And on the cross, God looked away from Jesus. And Jesus cried out, why have you forsaken me? It's so that we could be made clean. The greatest exchange. Jesus came down and on the cross hugged us in all our dirtiness and took upon himself our dirt so we could be made clean. There's a beautiful picture of this, actually, in the the classic Ben-Hur film. Ben-Hur, after many things, comes home and finds his mother and sister have tragically developed leprosy, which is this terrible skin disease that made them outcasts in their society. But on the cross, as Jesus is dying... There's this powerful scene where, right as he's dying, the the camera zooms in on just his hand on the cross, and in like a flash of lightning, it goes from being pure to being a leprous hand. At the same moment, then the camera flips over to Ben Hur's mother and sister, and their skin is clean. That's the gospel. What happened for them physically is what God promises to do through Jesus in every one of our hearts as we trust in him. So we don't have to lower his standards. And we don't have to pretend that we have it all together. Actually, we heard it in the time of confession. We can confess our sins, admit that we are impure, and he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we don't have to be left outside the VIP area, but actually get adopted and get to live in the family home. That's what Jesus offers. So there's a choice. You can pretend. You can work really hard to keep up exterior cleanliness and just hope that maybe someone won't press through. But I can tell you that's exhausting. Maybe some of you are there right now. And that's how you operate. And you know how exhausting it is to always keep up the outward appearance. Because what if one day someone broke through and saw the real you? That would be terrifying. And so you work so hard to keep up that outward appearance. But that's not a path that leads to blessing. blessing. Maybe some of you are just saying, well, I can just lower the standard. It's okay. It's fine. I don't mind being a little dirty. I mean, even just physically, like sometimes it's nice to like skip a day of having a shower and just like, On that day off, just, or go camping for a week and not shower at all. It's nice not to have to do that. But if we're honest, man, it's such a great feeling when you come home and you shower and you have that clean feeling. It's like, wow, this is awesome. That's what Jesus wants to offer us spiritually all the time. And so the best choice, the choice of blessing, is to admit that we're unclean every time it happens. And I'm not just talking here about a one-time acknowledgement. Is for all of us, the daily, maybe sometimes hourly, to recognize the uncleanness in our hearts, instead of trying to hide it, to bring it into the light and say, "Jesus, would You wash me clean again?" I need You to change my heart because I can't. And over time, it teaches us much more to depend on God. It teaches us His grace. It teaches us to desire purity more. And yet, no, he covers all of our mess. C.S. Lewis in the book Mere Christianity has a great quote, I think, that sums up this process. I want to read it for you. And He's talking about chastity, but if you just put the word purity in, in terms of pure in heart, I think you'll see how powerful this is. He says, we may indeed be sure that perfect chastity, like perfect charity, will not be attained by any merely human efforts. You must ask for God's help. Even when you have done so, it may seem to you for a long time that no help or less help than you need is being given. After each failure, ask forgiveness, pick yourself up, and try again. Very often, what God first helps us towards is not the virtue itself, but just this power of always trying again. For however important chastity or courage or truthfulness or any other virtue may be, this process trains us in habits of the soul, which are more important still. It cures our illusions about ourselves and teaches us to depend on God. We learn on the one hand that we cannot trust ourselves, even in our best moments, and on the other, that we need not despair, even in our worst, for our failures are forgiven. The only fatal thing is to sit down, content, with anything less than perfection. Friends, the biggest problem is not that we are unclean in our hearts. That's not fatal, ultimately. Whatever things are in your heart or life that you feel like make you unclean, none of them are are not able to be washed clean by Jesus. Every one of them can be washed. The only thing that's fatal is pretend you're not dirty. That's the only thing that leads to destruction. But if we confess, then actually we're motivated to keep working towards purity. Purity. And we find God's grace is sufficient when we fall short. And that's why actually confession is a gracious tool from God to help us in this. That's why every week we confess together. That at least corporately, once a week, we admit that we are needy people. But it's meant to show up in our one another relationships. Because when you go to someone and you say, hey, I need to say I'm sorry. I need to confess this pattern of sin in my life. Would you pray for me? It does a couple things that are really powerful. One, it humbles you. It's really hard to think you're all that in a bag of chips when you're verbally telling someone else that you're messed up, right? I mean, it just rightly humbles us. But also, you know what it does? It gives permission to the other person to say, really, you too? I'm not the only one that's impure in my heart. Maybe I could be here. Maybe I could grow here. Maybe actually I'm not. Unlovable by God. And you give them that gift. And then together, you get to speak to one another. Guess what? Your sin is bad, but God's grace is deeper still. He still loves you. And that motivates you to keep living for him. This produces a blessed life. And it produces a sweet community. One where people passionately pursue loving Jesus with a pure heart, and yet we're gracious towards one another when we fall short, because we all know what it is to fall short and be found dirty and yet be washed clean. That's the kind of community that stands out as a light in the dark in a city on a hill. Because we'll be different from the world because we're passionately pursuing a pure heart in Jesus, and yet we won't be known as the judgmental people because we have so much grace and gentleness for others isn't that a community that we want to be a part of and jesus invites us into that all we have to do is admit our need friends jesus is going to come back one day and make all things right and that day there will be a great wedding feast and he says now get ready for the feast All you have to do is admit your need and I will wash you and I will give you wedding clothes that are pure and spotless and you will be able to enjoy the feast with me and you will see God face to face. And I don't know about you, you, but I don't know what it's going to be like to see God face to face, but it's going to be greater than we can possibly imagine or think. And Jesus says, you're invited. Come to me and I can make you clean. Let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for these words from Scripture. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Father, thank you so much that you were not afraid to send your sons as you were willing to come and get into the mud and the dirt to rescue us, to make us clean. So I pray very simply that you would lead every person here to reach out to you to ask for your washing and being made clean, that no one would hold back, and that you would help us to, in an ongoing way, depend on you to walk out a life of cleanness for your glory, knowing you are so faithful to wash us again and again and again. I pray us in your name, amen.